The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Carter Worth, David Seberg, Tim Seymour, and special guest trader Gina Sanchez of Chantico Global and Trading Nation fame. Tonight on Fast, it is hard out there for a bank, but the chart master says there is one safe name in the space. He'll tell us what that is and why it's going higher. Plus, the Tesla circus continuing this week as bizarre tweets from Elon Musk and shares plunging 10%, but despite all the wild moves, shareholders still love Musk. Why? It might have something to do with that whole watch what he does, not what he says thing. We'll explain. But first, we start off with the markets. In the best performing sector this week, healthcare up 3%. And with returns like this, we don't need a new drug, Huey. Investors like the ones they have. Check it out. Biogen soaring 20% today on positive drug trial data. Regeneron, Gilead, Celgene, Merck, all getting a boost this week. So as a trade war and global growth concerns heat up, is healthcare the ultimate hideout trade, Tim? Well, I tell you what, I, you know, I, I think it's a great sector. If you're just looking at the bottom-up fundamentals, the earnings growth in the sector is around 20%. I think you've taken some of the spotlight from the negative regulatory front off of these guys. And at a time when people are worried about trade, kind of cross, high, cross hairs, cross fires, whatever you want them to be. Yeah, I think it is. I, I, I love biotech here. I own Gilead. I own Amgen. Um, I think the IBB is still riding an uptrend from the first quarter of 2016. And it's we kind of forget about biotech now and again. And I think you look at a, bi- a Biogen, and that story you prefaced with is exactly why people love biotech, because Biogen does nothing for four years, even though it's a fundamentally great company with good cash flow, and boom, today you're up 16 I mean, this is positive data on an Alzheimer treatment that would slow down right. the course of the disease. So a major breakthrough here. Ma- major breakthrough, and completely caught the street off guard on that from that perspective. So, you know, look, there's not more data on this particular drug for, for a while. So it's sort of, you know, all clear for Biogen in general. But look at healthcare. Look at biotech. I mean, biotech right now, from a generalist perspective, the generalist investor is completely underweight. They're very underweight, biotech in particular. Look at the M&A cycle. Look at some of the desperate deals that have been announced. Novartis makes an acquisition, an $8 billion acquisition of, of a company, a gene therapy company in April. The company doesn't even have approval for their product yet, so there's a lot of desperation with the larger cap names. I look at Gilead, I say there's a name that's going to have to make some sort of strategic soon, and I think that you're seeing it, going to see it pay they off did, in the long though. term. They made a deal. They did. They, they made, made one. It was small, and it wasn't enough to really get the juices going. But again, okay. look at the way some of these gene therapy drugs are trading. You're going to look at acquisitions there, in my opinion. To the, the cart point, deal to was, the point where the cart, yeah, and, that and, was not enough for investors. It's, right. And for investors who had been burned in the sector before because of fears about drug pricing concerns, wars, right. whatever you want to call it, and then they're waiting for M&A, M&A happens, nothing happens to the stock. I mean, for investors who were in there, didn't get much out of it, they're sort of like, you know what, why am I going to be there again? Well, look, I hate to be the Debbie Downer in this story, but there is actually... Be be, hi, Debbie. <laughs> Welcome to the desk. Thank you. Debbie, nice I'll to be Debbie you. today. Um, so the, the one big problem with the healthcare hideout from the trade war is that there is the potential that you could have uh, a, a, a limitation of up to 25% uh, of ownership in any company uh, that would benefit from emerging technologies, and biotech is right in that space. So you could really actually see drug companies like Merck, I mean, the smaller 
the smaller emerging biotech and pharma companies would get hit um, if they had to, you know, divest of Chinese ownership. That's a big deal. Yeah, are there a no. lot of uh, are there a lot of companies with Chinese ownership, though? Uh, yeah, I don't know what the percentages offhand. I'd be lying if I said that. But I, I do see the sort well, of again de <laughs> desperate sort of acquisition. You look at Novartis, you know, buying that company. It's a gene therapy company. Look at these gene therapy companies. The way they're trading, there's no question you're going to see basically. I mean, there, you can I can name six that'll go away. The market cap in them right now is too small to even mention on the show. You're talking about two hundred million dollar market cap companies, but they're going to go and probably for significant premiums. I mean, Avexis got taken out for a double in valuation. They paid $8 billion for this company. That's telling you how desperate these larger cap names are to bolt on. Just stepping back from the details, it's, it's about the sector. What we know is devices have been fantastic. You can look Edward, Medtronic, Stryker. We know managed care. UNH is one of the now biggest top 50 stocks. It's all about the big drugs, the waiting for the sectors in the big drugs mm -hmm. and certain biotech. And for the first time, those are starting to show some life. That's what gets the whole thing going. If you do get a move, Johnson Johnson started a week and a half ago, but now all of a sudden it's Lilly, now it's Pfizer. Merck is kicking in. That's where the money is. That's the offensive, defensive part of the sector. You can yeah. get upside and, I, I, and defensive holdings. With I, I agree with that. And I would highlight something, again, that David said, which is this, this uh, A beta for Alzheimer's that Biogen is out with their, their Japanese partner. Ultimately, this is a very, very exciting moment where people have to make a commitment for the next year. Right. Um, ultimately, I think it gives a long lead time and people to pile into this. And that is the story. And totally agree on United Healthcare. I mean, this has been one of the best performing stocks over the last few years, not just because uh, of a regulatory environment that may be better for them, but ultimately right. they are growing internationally. Their margins are better. And this story comes right back to yeah. the tax deal and the consumer and places where I think they're very well positioned. I think what's super important to recognize as well is how underweight the generalist population is in these larger cap and even smid cap names. They're completely underweight. And we've been waiting for a long time for that contingency or that investor to come back to the table and actually start playing in this game. And they're starting to come back. Okay, back to being the Debbie Downer, though. The, the big cap names are still exposed to this. You look at Merck, you look at Lilly, you still haven't heard any retaliatory measures by the Chinese on the big pharma sector. Right. So they could be, actually be potentially exposed in this. Yeah. And there are other ways to play healthcare. For example, you could play the healthcare REITs. Healthcare REITs in the uh, managed uh, care um, space, I mean, that's a big and growing space. We have a huge aging population. So that's another way of playing the healthcare space is basically playing it through. You just don't like drugs. You I don't, just don't like, like drugs. drugs. Don't I like the XB I still I still like the XBI over the IBBs. I'll tell you from an MA perspective, I think that that's gonna heat up. But I think they're gonna perform relatively they could perform relatively from a, a relative performance perspective in line going forward, given the fact that a lot of these larger cap names, you're starting to see the, the, the generals come back and the MA cycle is going to pick up in my opinion. Let's get to our next guest. Our next guest says there's even more room to run for healthcare. Our next guest is Carter. Oh, <laughs> Carter. Right over there. A corner star macro. Why don't you head over to the oh, plaza, Carter? Okay, here we go. Hada. I mean, I think it's important to note if you think about healthcare is the second biggest sector, but also it's the third best performing. If you don't count Fang, Fang is consumer discretion, Fang is tech. It's basically the best performing sector year to date. Anyway, it's size. You see the numbers here. Of course, this is the case. But what's really important is that healthcare is the second biggest sector among the 11. Let's just look at the chart and try to figure it out from here. Here is the XLV. Now, there are a lot of different ways you can draw the lines always. Of course, as a minor sort of thing, I think you have something of a head and shoulders bottom. But if I put in the trend lines, what you've really got here is a well-defined wedge. And this week, with our head and shoulders, we have broken out from 
this formation, the implications are much higher prices. Now, relative performance, that's really what it's about. This has been a dog, but year to date, things are changing. So relative performance peaked exactly a year ago. And ever since, right, we have been going down even as the sector itself has been able to advance. But now I want you to focus on the here and now. Just of late, what's happening is the following. Same chart, we've now broken above the relative downtrend line. Uh, that's a very important development. We have seen staples play catch up. We saw energy do it earlier in the year. We've seen utilities play catch up, REITs play catch up. It's just a money flow issue. Money is playing catch up here in healthcare. In my estimation, I think you want to be long. Are the catch-up trades, Carter, that you had mentioned before, such as consumer staples, which we discussed vigorously on this desk last night as to whether or not it was a defensive uh, trade or not, uh, is, the, is it done? Are those catch-up trades caught up, and, well, and now you're looking for the next one? I mean, some are have, well, let's say it started with staples, right? That's about almost two and a half months old. But the point is that it's happening in aggregate. As in aggregate money is coming out of industrials and financials, it has systematically got into REITs, utilities, staples, even telco. And healthcare now is starting to be a part of that. At some point, you get mean reversion. But remember, this has been so long in the making that I don't think this is over. It's nascent. It's just begun. Carter, we've talked about you know, how overweight or underweight investors are in, in these sectors. I'm just curious, from your vantage point, you're out there talking to folks all day long. Um, there was a time this was a very popular trade. Let's be clear. It was crowded. Um, what do you think right now? Is that a good call because you think it's underweight? Well, properly so, right? Think about energy as the setup for this. People have been underweight energy for three, four, five years. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money to get on sides. And the same thing is here. They've been terrible. Lilly's been terrible. Pfizer's been terrible. Merck, Bristol-Meyer, you can run down the list. Amgen, sitting on all that cash. But the point is that a money flow thing, once it, start, once it starts, it's very hard to stop. Or often, even if it's hard to stop, it doesn't stop easily enough in a month-to-month period. I think this is just the beginning. All right. Thanks, Carter. And uh, Seberg, top picks in the sector. Yeah. I mean, again, I say Gilead only because the valuation has been pressed down for such a long time. And I do believe there needs to be more strategic with them. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. I think the second half of the year, the larger cap names, Gilead in particular, I think picks its head up and it starts to move higher. All right. Coming up, it is the rally in your cupboard. Soup and cereal stocks suddenly surging. Could be even about to get better for one of those names right there. Plus, the most boring group of stocks in the world suddenly surging utility stocks yes you heard that right utilities that's where we are folks they're suddenly hot and a couple of our traders think they're going to get even hotter we'll tell you how to play it and later this stock is up 150 percent this year it's a big player in the streaming wars and no it is not netflix can you guess what it is the answer or i should say the question in just a little bit we are live at the nasdaq market site in new york city's times square much more fast money still ahead What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. If you're looking for a good, eventful show, you may want to know that the circus is back in town. The Tesla circus, that is. It's been another wild ride, wild week for the automaker and its outspoken CEO, Elon Musk, forever caught in a never-ending war with reporters and Wall Street analysts, short sellers, throw them all in there. Phil LeBeau's in Chicago with all the details. Phil. 
That's right, Melissa. It was a wild week for Tesla shareholders. It started off on a high note last Sunday when Elon Musk tweeted out that the company had hit the target of building 5,000 Model 3s in the last week of the second quarter. That was the target the company had set. Tesla achieved it, and many expected a surge for Tesla shares on Monday morning, a bit of a relief rally. Well, it was short-lived because Q2 deliveries, when they were announced on Monday morning, were viewed as a disappointment by some on Wall Street who expected a few more Model 3s to be delivered. And then on Tuesday, we, along with other media outlets, reported that Tesla had eliminated the break-and-roll test as part of the manufacturing process process in the last week for the Model 3. Well, that's what it took to send Tesla shares lower on Tuesday. There was a bit of a break because of the 4th of July and the markets being closed. But when the sell-off continued on Thursday morning, that's when we started to hear from Elon Musk. He sent out a number of tweets yesterday targeting coverage of Tesla. He specifically questioned the motives of some of the reporters and some of the articles they've written about Tesla in the last week. And he also brought up the track record of analysts that are interviewed by a number of outlets. Specifically, he was asking, look, do we know what the track record is of some of these analysts? If they're always wrong, shouldn't we know that? Shouldn't the viewer know that the analysts are always wrong? So as you take a look at shares of Tesla over the last year, while this was a rocky week, this stock is still above $300 a share. And as a result, a lot of people will be focused on what happens here over the next three to four weeks before Tesla reports its Q2 earnings, which are expected to happen sometime in early August. Melissa? All right, Bill, thanks. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. But even as Tesla and Musk in particular weather another dramatic week, shareholders do seem to have some solid reasons for loving the stock. Not only, not only did Musk manage to meet the production goal, he set pretty much for the Model 3, as Phil mentioned, but there were still over 400,000 pre-orders. Uh, for the Model 3. Finally, while the stock has tumbled this week, it's still about 25% higher from its year-to-date low back in April. Given all this, is Musk not getting enough credit for the job he is doing at Tesla? Tim, what do you make of the well, uh, antics of the CEO? I, I, I think he would actually be getting a lot more credit if he wasn't making so much noise. I, it's, there's no question he's had tremendous credit. And, and I, I will, someone that's been somewhat negative on the valuation of the stock, um, I, I've been very negative on the valuation of the stock. I think the execution risk and the technology risks have actually gotten, they've, they've been mitigated somewhat. But I think as they get into the mass market, this is really where I think it gets even harder for them to, as they get into volume and they become a real operator. So this is where I'm, you know, at least as worried about anything. I think a mass market valuation is in the stock. But no, Elon Musk has been successfully, uh, I, I think, executing on a plan. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the plan has always gone according to form. As a shareholder, would you be concerned about Elon Musk taking to Twitter to take out reporters, analysts, short sellers, whoever it may be, Gina? Well, that's never a good thing. But at the end of the day, I think the reason that you see a lot of people continuing to be in this stock is because it is an innovation play. This is a major innovation. And I think really what's happening now is that the, stock, that the market has basically gotten into what have you done for me lately? And that is really where the execution risk happens. And what I have said before is that the biggest risk in this stock at this point is just that there's no margin for error. And that's the challenge. But is it a good play? a long-term play? Yes. I agree. There's no margin for error. I think it's a trading range between three, 300 and 360. And I agree with Tim wholeheartedly. I think it's absolutely a bigger, you know, 
thematic risk for him to be tweeting about this stuff you know, consecutively, going after the street, going after the south side. You know, if you have nothing to hide, if you've got no issues with the fundamentals of this company, there's no reason to push back consistently on street ratings. In my opinion, it does them more of a disservice than a good. Does it than do good. anything, isn't it? Isn't, it's a negative as far as I'm concerned. Is that the personality of the player? I, I was going to say it's, that. It's, isn't it's, that what people love about Elon yeah, Musk? Exactly. He's willing to but speak it, up for his I mean, stock and defend and himself? The guy invented the thing, and that's what he well, is. But I, I, speaking up for the stock is one thing. I, I think going after people personally, and, and, and especially sell side, you know, uh, analysts on this, is completely different. And I think the sell side is really fed up with his well, commentary look, and been, investors are. There's sell-side analysts that, that have been, you know, calling 450 on the stock and have been wrong yeah. on the upside. Right. By Correct. the way, over four years, the stock's done nothing. All right, let's be clear. You were at 250 four years ago. The stock's around 280, 290, 300, whatever, when the tech sector around it has exploded. So if this is a tech play, um, I think it's, it's underperformed. It's not. That's what it is. It's just sometimes stocks aren't trending. Sometimes you're getting worse and worse. Sometimes you're getting better. And sometimes, just to your point, and this was a $25 stock, in 2013, and one year later, in 2014, it was 250, a 10 bagger. The market priced all of this in, and now it has spent better part of half a decade digesting that primary move. And what what does it make you feel like the next move changed. is, though? Yeah, I mean, but, but, it, but it's not that. It's just trading in a range. Right. Going nowhere. There is no move. It's just stuck. Yeah, There's nothing the, wrong with that. The problem is, is that the market is short term and it wants everything now. And remember that what Elon Musk is attempting to do is something that the actual traditional automobile industry took 100 years to do, right? And we're expecting it in 10 years. That's the difference. And if you but, think of this the as market, a market, the market's got nothing. In. I mean, yeah. you say the market is everything now. In. I think Tesla, the big joke here is that they've got nothing. nothing. I mean, they've gotten no deliveries on time, they've gotten a cash burn. They're now at a place where I think they may be getting this. There's, Everybody loves Tesla's product, but, but you know, to be clear, I don't think they've gotten what they were promised. But to be clear, I mean, the trading range, if you were able to trade this range, you can make a lot of money. Look, the volatility right. There's a lot of money to be made in this stock. I think people have gotten their faces ripped off. No one, no one can successfully do that. For <laughs> the bears are in control thousand. below 300 bucks, and if the thing breaks above 360, you got you got you get the bulls in control. So right now we're in no man's land, I agree. If we break below 300, all bets are off. The stock's going to go a lot lower, probably down to $250. Did you guys do a show after this one on Short Friday? Stops. Um, we do. Options it's called action. Options Action. Called options this action. is a stock for options traders. Options I mean, the volatility action. in this thing we is actually is did a trade on Tesla. Yeah, on Options Action. For that very reason. That very reason. So ahead, it is one surging media stock that's outperforming Netflix over the last year. Do you know what it is? The answer later in the show. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. As banks tumble, one financial is standing out as a safe haven. Don't leave home without it. And the charts are pointing to even more gains for American Express. We'll tell you how to cash in. Plus... Be very, very quiet. We're hunting for yield because there are four stocks with fat dividends that are in the trader's sights. The names when Fast Money returns. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks may have been stuck in a range in the last month or so, but there's a bright spot that's been shining in the market. Utility stocks have been catching fire. The sector hitting a year-to-date high today with hot names in the space like Con Edison, Duke Energy, Southern Energy, and Dominion up double digits in the past month. It's not just their performance that's been turning heads. All of these stocks also boast attractive dividend yields. So given these numbers, we thought it'd be a good time to go yield hunting. Let's go yield hunting. It's a very controversial game. We're going to go around the horn on these high dividend utility names. For example, let's take Southern. If the traders like it, you will see this. See this. You'll see this and you'll hear this. Let's hear it. I mean, ooh, there we go. Boom. Ooh, boom. Right. I didn't hear anything, though, Mel. I didn't hear anything either. It sounded like if we they, were playing Pac-Man. Is that the sound? If they don't like it, you'll see and hear this instead. Okay, so red duck is bad. <laughs> red duck is Red duck. And green target means you buy it, all right? Uh, that is fantastic. Okay. Okay. So, Tim, <laughs> pressure's on you. Uh, yeah. You kick it off. Are you buying Southern? Okay, I don't expect any sound effects, but I'm looking for a red duck here. I'm selling it, and here's why. Uh, ultimately, I think Southern is a, a very interesting company here, but I think it's outperformed during a period where I think people are just getting back into the utility trade. I think they have a more complicated model, which includes a nuclear plant, and I think there's better risk-reward in the sector. I'm not against the sector. It's been a huge move, but I am a seller of this move in Southern. So red duck and everything you're, you're and letting sounds it go. that don't exist. Uh, here we go. There we go. All right. I like that. Oh, yeah. You like the red duck? I like the red like duck. The, I'm you, a red you, duck you, across you, the board, so I'm probably the you last one you want to talk well, about. You don't like any utility. No, I think they've moved too far, the too fast. On the safety trade is, is in place, and I, and I get that. But I think the, the short-term move here, I think, has been priced in. I wouldn't be chasing it red here. I think there's a right. little bit more upside maybe to these stories, you know, possibly. Doesn't that imply you but, think the market's going higher then? No, uh, it does. It absolutely does. And what Over the longer term. So I look at it and say I'm not just going to buy based on dividend yield. Boom. Why so, would you hunt this one? It's not this one here. I got a group oh, chart for you, one. possibly. I know Ooh. we're going to look at a bunch of stocks. Let's, if you have it there, let's look at this group chart. It's a comparative chart of a bunch of utilities. The correlations in any given rolling three to six month period are as high as 95%. It doesn't matter which utility you buy. They have all gone straight up. Long term, sure. If you, if you set forest fires, you're going to be in trouble. If you have nuclear exposure, good or bad. But here and now, it's about money flow. And look it's at that about chart. Rates, right? Look at it's about rates. Look it, at that chart yeah. on the TV right there. Those are all four stocks. You could put five more in there. They are identical. Wow, you'd hunt this one. All you'd right, hunt them uh, all. let's move on. Let's move on to Duke Energy, Gina. <laughs> Okay, buy it? I'm a red duck on Duke Energy because I actually don't think that they're all the same. I think they're regulated and they're That's non-regulated. Long-term. That's not how right? money works. Okay, though. fine. <laughs> but I'm just saying Duke Energy is a regulated stock. Right now, the tax cuts actually end up hurting all of the regulated stocks, right? So if you look at the regulated utilities, they're actually going to end up making less. So I'm a seller That's on all Duke. True. I tell you, they're yeah. all appreciated the exact same amount over the exact same number. Well, cars going to think this is impossible, but I'm throwing a green little target You're out there. You're hunting this one. You're hunting yeah, I'm this one. All right. Look, bottom line is I think Duke. Over a Southern makes a lot of sense because I think there's less execution risk in Duke, um, and I think the earnings profile is better. All right, last one. Con Edison, Carter. Same chart. Let's look at the group chart again. <laughs> You're no fun playing chart. this game. You're going to target actually, on playing everything. playing the game, I think, the best way. Yeah. They're identical. All right. Final trade times. Go around the horn. Carter. Final trade, American Express. 
Seberg. <laughs> XBI and playing that Smidcap biotech acquisition theme. Tina, Sabra Healthcare. It's a REIT. Tim. Well, Mel, I hope you have a nice weekend. And Thank you. I hope I same to you. Same to all of our viewers. I think we've managed to have some great fast money this week. Uh, we had a block that was going to be social media, and I was going to talk about Twitter and their growth in DAUs and earnings. Twitter, final trade. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks to Gina for joining us today. That does it uh, for us here on Fast. You can catch us back here Monday at 5. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Options action starts right after this break. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.